0: We're looking this evening at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 to 19, and I've titled this A Better Way to Live, A Better Way to Live. When troubled in the world, we may grow weary, and so we need to remember the better way to live that the Lord Jesus offers us. I have two headings this evening I want us to consider the way of Jesus and then to respond to the way of Jesus. We're going to consider the way of Jesus in verses 7 to 12, and then we're going to respond to the way of Jesus in verses 13 to 19. So consider the way of Jesus. Jesus offers us a better way of life. Interestingly enough, and uh, just curiously enough, The way that our author introduces this better way of life is by telling us in verse 7 to remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember your leaders, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That is chock full of verbs, right? Remember, consider and imitate. Remember your leaders, don't pray to your leaders. Don't invoke your leaders, but remember them, and remember them most especially as those who spoke the word of God to you. It's not just what your leaders taught you. That, of course, is of crucial importance, and that's the subject of verses 8 to 12, but it's also their way of life. In the context of the suffering that we know the recipients of this letter faced, it's important for them to reflect upon the fact that their leaders who preached the word of God to them suffered in order to do so. Now, holding people in remembrance suggests that some of these leaders actually died. Now, because of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, which says that you did not resist to the point of shedding your blood, we don't think that they were martyred, that they shed their blood for Jesus, but they certainly did suffer. They struggled. So there's an exhortation. Remember what it cost your leaders to preach the word of God to you. The second verb is consider. Consider the outcome of their way of life. They persevered in the face of trials and you honor them for it. Some men die well. Others don't. And these men died well they died in faithfulness to Jesus. They fell asleep in Jesus. Now, having told us in verse five not to be caught up with the love of money and to be grateful, it can't be that they died well. Remember, the leader, remember your leaders and consider the outcome of their way of life. It can't be, remember how famous and how rich they were. No, there is a wholesomeness to godly Christian living that is itself an object of admiration that is marvelously appealing, deep abiding trust in Christians. I see this in older Christians. In the midst of life's difficulties are uh, a wonderful thing. Your leaders chose a better way of life. Consider that and do the same. Well, how can we do the same? The answer is there in verse seven. Imitate their faith. Imitating their faith. When you imitate someone, you do what they do. You say what they say. We sang Jesus Paid It All this morning. And my, I got to tell my kids that I remember being their age. I remember being a little boy and going to my grandparents' church and singing Jesus paid it all. There is something wonderful about walking in the faith of those that went before you. And of course, we have faith not in our leaders, but we imitate their faith by looking to the one in whom they have put their trust Jesus Himself. Verse 8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We should follow our leaders as our leaders follow Jesus. In the 1980 Summer Olympics in Moscow, Alan Wells, a Scotsman, won Olympic gold for the United Kingdom. Doug Gillen tells the story of what happened after Wells won the gold. High up in the press room, I waited with the rest of the media to interview Wells. A piper had been found with one of the TV crews, and we knew Wells was on his way when we heard the strains of Scotland the Brave. Wells had no sooner taken a seat when the correspondent from the Times leapt up. Were you thinking about Harold Abrahams when you crossed the line? Abrahams had been the last Brit to win Olympic 100-meter gold in 1924, but Wells knew his heritage. Turning to the wee group of Scots, he gave us an enormous wink. No, I was thinking about Eric Little. Actually, Eric Little was the Scotsman who was gloriously portrayed in the film Chariots of Fire. He had refused to compete in the 100 meter because the heat for that race fell on a Sunday. Nevertheless, he competed in the 400 meters and won. Alan Wells wasn't thinking of an Englishman who had won Olympic gold in 1924. He was thinking of a fellow Scotsman. He was following his leader. Eric Little ran well, but he died even better. After the Olympics, he was a missionary in China, and he died in a Japanese internment camp during World War II. He ran the Christian race well, even to the end. The finest Christian gentleman, it has been my pleasure to meet, one survivor recounted. In all the time in the camp, I never heard him say a bad word about anybody. Still another said, He was overflowing with good humor and love for life and with enthusiasm and charm. It is rare indeed that a person has the good fortune to meet a saint, but he came as close to it as anyone I have ever known. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We imitate their faith by focusing on Jesus. And that's what verses 8 to 12 suggest to us. There's a better teaching and a better work in the way of Jesus. This teaching and work will never fail you. It will never disappoint you. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Constant in his perfection. Perfection consistent and faithful in his promises. Jesus will not fail us. He cannot fail us. Now, this section in, in uh, 9 to 12 offers three contrasts. We need grace, not food. We have an altar, not a tent. And we have Jesus, not animals. Quickly, we have, we have grace. We, we, we have grace, not foods. Now, the author of Hebrews isn't saying that you can eat whatever you want to, that uh, stuff yourself with donuts uh, all your life and that would honor God. He's saying that ritualistic ceremonials or solemn sacred meals pushed on you by diverse and strange teachings do not benefit those who are devoted to them. Your doctor may say that you need to follow a particular diet for your health and that's good. Stick to it. This is a good thing for your health, for your physical well-being. But if someone says that you will be closer to God if you eat Brussels sprouts, then beware. Then beware. We, I would hate Brussels sprouts. I have tomatoes in my notes, but I thought... <laughs> It'd be really odd if somebody told you to eat Brussels sprouts to bring you closer to God these foods are permissible to us, but we and it can be beneficial for our health to follow certain regimens but we cannot make it a religion that is the old ceremonial law that is passed away it's interesting um, Pew Research Uh, I read that um, only 17% of American Jews keep kosher, the Old Testament ceremonial law for God's people. So if my math is right, then 83% of American Jews don't keep kosher. So they need to tell themselves a story about how it is that they are not obligated to keep the Old Testament law. One option is that they allegorize the law. I keep the law of Moses on my heart even as I eat the bacon on my burger. But notice that the author of Hebrews does not do that here. He says bluntly in verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. God has given us great freedom in what we eat. And most marvelously, he has given us access to heavenly food. When we we take communion together, we are not like believers in the Old Testament participating in or sharing in food of a promise. Instead, we are eating food of redemption accomplished and applied. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the Reformation began in earnest in Zurich, Switzerland, because a small group gathered together at a printer's house in 1522 and ate some sausages. A controversy ensued. It is known as the affair of the sausages. (laughs) The men believed rightly that no church could forbid them from eating meat during Lent, the season before Easter. And the city was persuaded and passed an ordinance that, quote, no Christian is bound to do those things which God has not decreed. So curiously and charmingly, I love this, the second Helvetic confession, Helvetic being a word for Swiss, which was published just over a decade later in 1536, actually has a chapter, I think it's chapter 24, on holy days, fasts, and the choice of foods. The old translation of the Latin is choice meats. And so there's a, there's a uh, confessional document that says, I want to tell you about choice meats. It says that fasting without faith can actually be another path to wickedness. Quote, fasting is an aid to the prayers of the saints and for all virtues, but as seen in the books of the prophets, the fast of the Jews was fasted, f- they fasted from food, but not from wickedness. They fasted from food, but not from wickedness. This did not please God. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us, and so we keep the feast of God as the people of God, but food by itself does nothing. Only by grace, through faith in Christ alone, Do we taste heaven in our hearts at the Lord's Supper that we receive and are reminded of God's steadfast love through Jesus for his people? So we have grace, not food and altar, not a tent. And we have Jesus, not animals, all the blood, all the blood that was brought in to the holy place. Merely and only pointed to the blood of Jesus that was shed outside the city. And though priests had to purify themselves with blood, Jesus's blood purifies us. Again, Jesus paid it all All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. In the the, the language of verse 12, he sanctified the people through his own blood. It's no good going back to Jerusalem, Dick Lucas comments on these verses, because Jerusalem expelled the Lord of glory. And if the great holy city of Jerusalem expelled the Lord of glory, then there's no place for a Christian there. There's no place for a Christian in Judaism today because it was Judaism that decided to reject its Messiah. Well, if there's no place for us in the earthly Jerusalem, how do we prepare ourselves for the heavenly Jerusalem, for the Jerusalem above, which is free and is our mother? We respond to the way of Jesus. That's verses 13 to 19, we respond to the way of Jesus. We respond to the way of Jesus by following Jesus and bearing his re- reproach. That's verses 13 and 14. We follow a crucified Savior. We follow a crucified Savior. Jesus was not born in a palace, and he, did not, he wasn't crowned in a temple. He was crucified between two thieves. There are people who scoff at Jesus, who blaspheme Jesus, who use his name carelessly. We should take it personally. Jesus most certainly takes it personally. But we shouldn't be bitter and afraid when we follow the way of Jesus, when we bear his reproach. We should be confident. After all, death didn't hold, couldn't hold Jesus. Death is not going to hold us either. Last year in northern Mozambique, Islamic militants burned Christian villages and slaughtered thousands. One pastor said that he walked between row after row of dead bodies and he recited, he found comfort in Psalm Twenty three, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Another pastor whose house was burned to the ground said, They can burn our houses, they can burn our food, but they cannot burn Jesus out of me. Now there's a man who follows the way of the Lord Jesus wherever the Lord the way of the Lord Jesus brings him so we follow Jesus and bear his reproach we also sacrifice for Jesus this is verses 15 and 16 first we offer a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that acknowledge or confess his name this verse echoes hosea 14:2 Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. A sacrifice is an offering and we make an offering to God when we acknowledge publicly that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah of the Jews, that he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords the Savior of the world. We should do so not occasionally, but continuously. Jesus should be on our lips. Sometimes we should strategize thoughtfully about how to share the good news of Jesus with others. But always, always, Jesus should be on our thoughts, just part of who we are. Jesus should come up in conversation with people. And this offering can be a sacrifice because it can cost us something precious to us. It can, it can cost us friendships with people or perhaps their admiration. If you tell people what Jesus thinks about any number of things, heaven and hell, sin and judgment, all sorts of contested moral issues, then you can expect resistance, indifference, Opposition, but he doesn't ask us. He doesn't ask us to suffer embarrassment for him when he did nothing for us. On the contrary, as the apostle Paul says at the end of Second Corinthians chapter 4, what do we have? We have light and momentary troubles that are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And how do we have that? Well, because he suffered, bled, and died for us. So another way we can sacrifice for Jesus is we can do good and share. This is in verse 16. It follows, I think, the exhortation that we saw this morning in verse two, but now it's being extended, not just to those who are in prison or being uh, mistreated, but uh, to, to anybody. When I serve you, I should know that I am pleasing God. Parents with young children, you should know that God is pleased with your nighttime expeditions to serve those who are too young to care for themselves. Older Christian, God sees and delights in your care for younger believers, your willingness to offer counsel, support, and encouragement if I think that I am stuck helping somebody because no one else will, that is a recipe for me to grow bitter. But if I see helping someone as delighting God, as a sacrifice of praise to my Jesus, then it reframes the whole activity. Uh, Many of you know that I lived in England for five years. While I was in London, my uh, father called me and he and a business partner were stuck in the Middle East somewhere. And his coworker was trying to get to London to meet the woman who's now his wife and mother of his kids who was flying over from the United States. And so my dad called me and said, would you go meet... This woman that you've never met at he—I think it was at Heathrow Airport—and get her to her hotel in central London. I guess she'd never been to England before. She's a little nervous. Timing of the flights. Would you do this? Sensing the hesitancy in my voice, and it was, after all, somebody who who worked for my dad. He said, "I'll pay you for your time." And I said, then the answer is no. Because I'm I'm not going to get up, go meet a stranger in the airport, but I'll do it if you want me to, because you're my father. And he said, I want you to do it because I'm your dad. And I said, no problem. We need to reframe why and how we help each other. We are bringing glory to Christ. We are delighting our Heavenly Father when we serve each other. I'm not saying that we will put a little asterisk or a little, you know, some kind of star or smiley face next to your name in the church directory if you serve people. And that's a, that's a pretty uh, thin gruel in terms of a motivation. You bring delight to your Heavenly Father. There are people in this congregation who need our love and support. And guess what? That's everybody, the preacher included, right? We all need love and support just in different ways. We all have different kinds of needs. So let's do good and share what we have with each other. Let's also, verses 17 and 19, obey and pray. We respond to Jesus by submitting to, by obeying our leaders, submitting to them, and praying for them. Now, we live in an age completely uncomfortable with obedience and submission. It's not just that people don't want to obey and submit, it's that leaders don't want to call people to obey or submit either. And I think part of the reason, if we're totally honest, is because there's some leaders. Uh, that are just horrible people who completely and totally misuse their power. And it's even more wicked and just horrific when we see this abuse in the church. But such is not the case here. There are leaders in this congregation who are watching over your souls. And I know they are watching over your souls because they are kindly and lovingly watching over mine. Not everyone clamoring for leadership in the church is active to help you, longing for your growth in Christ. But to those who are, who long for you to grow in Jesus, then obeying them And submitting to them is a source of great encouragement to you and to them as well. Make their work on your behalf a joy and not a burden. We should all be receptive to leaders who lovingly instruct us for our own good. I have been so blessed to have Paul Sagan as a leader. I'm not saying this because he's here. It would be easier if he wasn't here and just watching via the live stream. But no man in ministry has worked as hard as Paul has in my whole life to encourage me in ministry. He keeps watch over my soul. It is easy for me to submit to Paul's leadership because I know that he loves me. Some of the elders and deacons of this church may hate conflict even more than you do. Let their, their labor among you be a joy and, and not a source of, of groaning. It's no advantage to you to shrug off people who are genuinely interested in your spiritual welfare. And pray for us. The author of Hebrews makes this request of the recipients of his letter in verse 18. Pray for us. Well, I make the same request of you, O congregation. Pray for us, pray for us that we may act honorably in all things. Pray too that providential hindrances to our ministries may be lifted so that we may serve you even better. That's how I take verse 19. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. He mentions Timothy in verse 23, saying our brother Timothy has been released, and presumably that has been released from prison. And so my my belief here is that that's the case with the author of Hebrews. He's saying, may I be released too, so that I can be with you. Now, I sincerely hope that for... Uh, the leadership of Covenant Church Fayetteville, that we are never uh, writing you letters from jail <laughs> asking that, uh, that God will uh, get us released so that we can be reunited. I sincerely hope it doesn't come to that. But I also hope that if the time does come, we will be strong and courageous in the Lord and in his power, and that you will be encouraged by your leader's willingness to suffer for Christ our King. The way of Jesus is a beautiful way. All his ways are pleasant and all his paths are peace. So consider the way of Jesus and respond in faith to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to reflect on the deep, deep love of Jesus. You do not ask us to go anywhere where you have not led the way. And we pray that in suffering or in blessing, in embarrassment or in triumph, we would be faithful to you all our days that we may say when we fall asleep in Jesus, all the way my Savior leads me. And it's in your strong and powerful name we pray. Amen.